0: Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook and a cuppa and join me in the Sociology Staff Room. Hello and uh, welcome to the Sociology Staff Room. I'm Katie Tyler and we're back with a podcast after our little break. Um, so um, we're going to talk to Erhan today. So First of all, thank you ever so much for spending your time. I appreciate um, taking from the background that you're at school. So taking out some time out of your busy day. So first of all, thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, amazing. No, I, thank you. Um, so, first of all, um, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, in regards to your sort of professional practice, where you are, uh, what's brought you to sociology.
1: So, uh, personally, myself, I've done the A level, I've done a degree in sociology at Bath. So, um, afterwards, I looked to uh, become a teacher, uh, I did my PTC in RE. Um, qualified. I came to Goths in Hertfordshire. Uh, since my NQT year, I've been here for eight years. Within those eight years, I've been a HOD for seven years. And I've uh, had other roles within the school, such as uh, professional learning, coaches and what have you. Aside from that, I'm also a governor in the primary school. So I've got, um, well, in, in some, it's been quite a, a short career so far, eight years. Not, I know people have much greater levels of uh, teaching experience, but within those eight years I've done different roles and um, within my my department I'm the head for sociology and uh, religious studies, RS, and sociology I've taught it for those eight years and as well as that I've also been an examiner for AQA, Um, yeah, so quite, quite a bit there
0: impressive impressive resume there not that this is an interview or anything like that but to achieve so much in eight years with obviously and then the sort of spattering or the peppering of uh lockdown and covid responding to online learning in between so you've achieved a lot in that point so perfect person to play so we're going to be talking about which who doesn't want all their students to get a's and a stars don't they and obviously there's going to be particular cohorts of students depending on what teaching environment you're working at that is the expectation of those students not I mean, this is where my bias is coming in. I believe that every student should be pushing for those grades anyhow, and that we differentiate hey, up and down, but that's just my own bias. But for some, it's definitely a conversation that is something that's really uh, so maybe a pressure in some other schools because of the the cohort of students they may have. Yeah. So, what is the magic formula? Because I want to know as well. I'd love to know, you know, and I think particularly those A-stars, I don't, I don't know if there is a formula, I think that's one of the things that I personally have found, but I'd love to just pick your brain. So first of all, what for do you does an A-star exam... I mean, maybe you start with the essays. I don't know if that's maybe a place to start, but what does it even look like? What does an A-star student look like?
1: So, uh, again, what I'm going to say is quite subjective.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, in my
1: view, if... Well, if I focus on, let's say, a 20 or 50 mark question um should start with an intro that maps out um the whole essay it shouldn't be like a, a an expansive detailed paragraph it should be like a a sort of like a point guide where you're gonna take the examiner so we look at these arguments and compare it with these in short the intro should be there's two key arguments that we're gonna look at here they are and they end with uh, the student's point of view uh, along the way in the essay it should be in my personal point of view, uh, three main argu- uh, three main paragraphs that look at the main theories, the main focal points of the essay, and um, make reference to the item. Of course, if there's an item there, uh, and um, the, the, the theorist. but as well, again, as we all know, students should be critical with their strengths and weaknesses. Now, um, when I mark for the exam boards, I do see quite a, quite a few essays with just uh, a, a bank of weaknesses. That I have the feariest and then the weakness, the feariest and the weakness. And again, in my point of view, from my point of view, even from most of my points of view, critique has to be balanced. So with strengths and weaknesses, in my teaching practice, I do a lot of emphasis on how do we draw out strengths and weaknesses. So if you uh, came to one of my lessons, typically you'll see the content, the theory, and I'll follow up with um, questions based on the AO skills. Right? Here's your AO1 question. Here's your AO2 question. Here's your AO3 question. So you'd have your intro, then three or four paragraphs looking at the main content in the uh, item. Um, after you're strengths and weaknesses, then again, strengths and weaknesses, in my view, should be rather developed. So not just one sentence, they should be um, expanded upon and explained in detail. The examples do a good job of bringing it to life, in my opinion. After those paragraphs, I encourage students to develop like a Paragraph and a two paragraph where they draw links to other aspects, other aspects of, of the course. So, uh, for example, if we're looking at um, media ownership, and is the and the main focus is on media ownership, then can they draw um, uh, reference to theories in audience theories or other topics within media, as well as families and education or crime, if applicable? And that paragraph for me is more like a, a critical brain dump almost. Drawing, drawing those synoptic ties together, afterwards I encourage the students to look at how can they question the topic matter itself, how can they push on the, the argument further, can you critique the keywords words in the item, the keywords in the question, can you sort of like pull apart what you've been asked to look at. Now for students in today's world that's quite a difficult skill for them to sort of uh, develop and actually um, bring up so um if they can't do that I'll get them to draw links to the postmodern world and all the issues that we're facing so uh, I'll give my students like a, a blanket paragraph to sort of apply to their um essays it could be an essay on family media doesn't matter but this blanket paragraph I feel was applicable to uh, most questions I'll ask them to look at the postmodern world and highlight the issues that have faced the world in the last 5 years whether that's covid whether that's the um increasing ai social media um the crises cost of living and then apply that to their question so that from examiner's point of view they've been um if i was marketing as examiner i'll see that they can take this content that they've revised in their textbooks that are maybe 20 30 40 years old and be able to apply it to today's world and then after that they'll uh, go to their conclusion And then for me, the conclusion is sort of like the last impression you leave on the examiner. Before they put you into a band, what's the last impression? And I sort of draw the the comparison to, say, for example, you met somebody for the first time, or you went on a date with somebody for the first time. If you had a a wonderful date with them, you're not going to sort of leave it with like an awkward handshake or awkward hug, are you? You're going to try to leave that that last impression on the examiner. So how are you going to hammer home to them that you're the person for that A star? So... With that, I attempt to include no new content. Drop your your strongest argument that you believe in. Obviously, no personal pronouns. Then the weakest argument. Um, yeah, and then um, basically their defensive answer on the on the answer. So in short, why they're right, why they're wrong, and the overall argument.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's covering all those points in there. It's something I thought of, because there's always debates. It's like, because obviously, like you said at the beginning, it's quite subjective. Um, and there's a debate around the introduction and how that's used. Um, what are your, so if you were to sell to me why you do do an introduction, because I know that some people don't do introductions yep. and there's nothing on the mark scheme that says you have to do an introduction. What's your selling point for the introduction?
1: So, my, uh, from my point of view, I tell the students that your intro should be you sort of planning where you're going with, with your essay, and stop you going off on the tangent of getting completely lost. If you if you're halfway through your essay and you're thinking, right, where am I going? Go back to your introduction. What was your initial plan? And also, when you look at the, the whole idea of, of the chain of reasoning, I think the intro sort of maps out where you're going, and plus it sort of illuminates to the students right, there's two arguments here, and here are the two arguments. Because so I'm finding that a lot of students do struggle with with, with the item and what they're meant to be re- referencing and putting in, so it's sort of like a second plan for them, so I'd encourage them to annotate the item, put it into intro, they get stuck in, but for me, the intro wouldn't be anything too expansive it would be a very small paragraph mm. yeah, give, giving
0: that focus helping to give them that focus i suppose giving them some valuable way one depending how it's used, so maybe like defining those concepts potentially for those about policy or what, what policies you're yeah. going to be looking at that type of thing um in addition I suppose there's a sort of a debate around the conclusion I know you mentioned how personally you wouldn't encourage the students to introduce new content I know there's discussion that it, you could do a sort of drop the mic moment and go at that point maybe bring in post-modernity or you know that sort of like sort of, I don't know oh yeah drop the mic moment I can't think um why do you not like students personally? Again, we said it's subjective. Why do you not like students bringing uh, new content into that point?
1: I just feel if you're going to introduce new content in your conclusion, why have you um, introduce it beforehand? If it was relevant mm-hmm. enough to put into your conclusion, why does it not come uh, in, the, in the body of the essay? And I feel like that's the point for you to definitively answer the question. Again, uh, another thing that I see is students are struggling to be critical and to put and to contribute to argument themselves again as an examiner i see loads of students who can rehearse the, the the textbook better than what i can to be honest and this whole shopping list of different theories different arguments but the conclusion for me is to make sure that they've that, that they're been critical and been able to give their viewpoints so the main focus for me is for them to answer the question with the, the strongest argument also take into account why they might be wrong and not to sort of distract the examiner from that sort of focus
0: yeah and he's mentioned something there that critical i think like the critical analysis i mean again it's subjective is is the deal is the deal breaker if that makes sense that's like, to what i mean the question i always think in my head as a, as, a, as a teacher is to what extent to what extent to what extent and so you know the students should be thinking about that that, that critical analysis rather right. than you say the shopping list of this is what i know um it's quite sort of I suppose a generic essay um and so I suppose a big difference between those sort of students who can and can't would be what you just said is those critical skills so what do you do either in lesson outside lesson to sort of stretch that critical thinking because obviously we talked about the essays but definitely what we're seeing with those 10 markers particularly without the item is picking that bit of the spec and that bit of the spec and for students to see how one has an impact on the uh, the other, sort of the cause and effect. So how are we developing those critical thinking skills? Because like you said, it isn't a case of knowing the textbook inside out and then regurgitating it on the paper. It's a combination of that application and the critical thinking skills. So how do you nurture that? You've given some practical ideas of how to write the students write their essays. But obviously, they have to get to the point where they can think critically. Um, So yeah, tell me a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, there's quite a bit i can expand on so for all the questions the 10 markers um the methods and context questions i have a um i have acronyms for all of them on how to answer them and get students to stick to them relig- religiously um within oh, those so
0: share some share some what, what's the acronym for the 10 mark without the item i've got a ten
1: poised okay um so one that i've got for the 10 markers is called uh, again it's quite memorable uh it's, Pennis, the the structure so there's two penis paragraphs get them to do so it's a point explain focus on the question that's p e the n is for name or theorist yeah then they reference name or theorist back up their point explain the e is for example and i find the most challenging part of uh, teaching sociology is to get kids to apply examples to their writing for me Mm. one of my to apply to the the, the world around them and then the s will stand for significance so basically mm-hmm. why is it covered significant and relevant to the question what does it tell us about the topic and the world around us and um i brought that in because when i first started here i did a bit of an exam analysis and i saw that we was dropping a lot of marks in our, in, our, in our 10 mark questions
0: yeah okay i was thinking i was thinking like actually could put the i in there for so the impact, you know, to like, because that's often the thing, isn't it? When you look at the 10 markers, it's it's how what has an impact on something or I'm just trying to think of ones like yeah. how does, uh, I teach cultural identity, so thinking how does consumption have an impact on sexual identity or something like that, which is yeah. one of the questions last year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's,
1: really, really. yeah, it's it's, nice.
0: with the significance, basically, yeah. Um, what about, do you use a lot of, like acronyms with the students and how um and what else do you do to create critical thinking skills
1: so in in my lessons well as i made reference to earlier i I do a lot of the ao skills in my lessons constantly so like here's your ao1 question here's your ao2 question here's your ao3 question um so we're constantly doing strengths and weaknesses in in every single lesson with every theory i might do it three times over um i also do a whole lesson on strengths and weaknesses so what i would do is um I might have like a, a silly activity like here's uh, two people wearing the same outfit. Who wears it better? Mm. And it's getting them to think about like, right, so how, so it's the, the, the same dress or same costume almost but what is different? How can I draw out? So getting them to think about how can you sort of um, critically explore a picture and like how can you apply it to a theory? So, okay, now let's apply that same thinking to like, to like uh, Bernstein's lever and speech codes? What has he mentioned that others haven't? What has he failed to take into account? And then within that lesson, I have like a blank, uh, a, a, a set of questions for strengths and a set of uh, questions for weaknesses. So if I'm in a class and students are struggling with students their strengths and weaknesses, I would have that hand out to hand, right? Here's the questions for strengths and weaknesses. Read for the questions and see if you can apply it. So some people might say, oh, I I might be spoon feeding my students a lot. And to a large degree, I do, but I, from my point of view, I think that A levels are quite difficult and harder than what they were when we were doing them because I used to have staggered exams. I'd have four across two years. They have them all at the same time. Then they have the other subjects and the other distractions in say as well. So I'll give them as much help as possible. So another example would be that I'll give them the whole notes for every topic. So I'll give, I'll give them a set of theories for family, education, media on a sheet for them the notes are done for them uh, for me it's not about them um having to draw my maps and notes i want them to be able to memorize the theories and apply them so a lot of my like flip learning or home learning is all about application it's mm-hmm. all about here's the theories can you apply it to an example in today's world um how about yeah um as well as that sorry before i forget um with the AO 2 I do give them a, a blanket set of examples they can apply their, their content to. So like COVID, oh, right. for so example. Yeah, you
0: focus, yeah, so you sort of... The focus sounds like in your, in your lessons and your teaching is not necessarily the AO1, but the AO2 and the AO3 yeah. where they're doing the application and the analysis. And so yeah. that's what the point of entry for those students, which obviously, I know we just off camera before we started, you told me how many hours you have, which is the schools sort of change. And so you have eight hours a fortnight uh, and some schools have... 10 hours i think there's that seems to be the common number eight or ten, which is quite a big difference two hours difference um and so obviously where people maybe struggle with time again and then we've done a session around flip learning or you know concentrating on the AO one and then the student can focus on those AO 2 and three. It's so rather than you spend the lesson going this is what Durkheim said sort of thing so it allows for yes, skill yes. what does for you because obviously you, you talked a lot and in your words you said you, you may spoon feed your students what then is the difference between, and you talked a lot about your role as a teacher, tell me about what does an A grade A star student look like in themselves, their attitude to, to learning? So how are they, because obviously you could do all those things, but they might still not be an A, a star student, you know, it's that sort of famous saying, and we're going to get wrong because I always get idioms wrong because... I just weren't taught them when I was a child. You can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I think that's it. But it might be wrong. I don't know. I'm, I know there's a horse and I know there's some water involved. But <laughs> how do you... What do they look like? Because you could do all those things. You've done some great things. You've made some lovely notes. You've taught the students' acronyms. You've um given them, uh, you know, different examples they can apply. You've told them about this blanket paragraph. You've done all those things, yet they're still not getting those A grades A stars. And they're still hitting maybe low Bs as a result. What is the difference between yeah, an a student, A-star student, and
1: the rest of the students? It's a difficult question to answer, but I'll do my best. Because um, Again, we do get quite a few A-stars here. We're a, a state academy. Our, our intake is diverse. I've seen uh, all different types of students get A-stars. For me, again, as I think we all know, students have to, have to want to su- succeed and be driven in that sense. I do feel like at A-level, there's a lot of man management and it's difficult with our cohorts and our, our workloads. So one uh, thing that I do a lot is one-on-ones. So rather than doing that whole cohort revision, I do do that, but only twice a year, like a whole drop-down day, for example, with it off timetable with me. But uh, my main intervention is, is, is a one-on-one. So I'll get the students to go through everything that we've gone through in class and see where their weaknesses are. Uh, and then work on them individually, which I know is difficult. But in terms of what uh, a grade student looks like or a star student would look like in, in, in the lesson, it'll be somebody who is driven to know the content and, and knows the content, is able to make like synoptic links. I think that is a, a difficult skill to sort of um, nurture as well. Uh, someone who's able to apply those synoptic links to the essay and being able to apply the content to the world around them as well. So being able to take the, the textbook, material and apply it to today's world and also be critical and i think that that is a main skill for me being able to do strengths and weaknesses but be able to uh, elaborate and be clear on those mm. i think if you're able to do that then that's that. then you're more than halfway there
0: yes again and do you i mean i again people use we've had lots of people talk about homework in a different way and um, so it sounds like you do flip learning which is application um do you do you have anything like enrichment activities? I mean, obviously, you talked about, I might unpick the one-to-one with you in a minute, but, like, because I know different people do different things. I know, personally, I, I have a, a rather than, I was drowning in my shoes. I think, in, like, contemporary stuff, and I then made, I think I had, like, a, I don't know who I was speaking to, but I was speaking to someone, it made me click, and I sort of have to hold on to it, and I say, It was just one day a week, which I must students actually named tuesday news day um so that i just save it for that one day so they know to look on a tuesday for all um and put it on a google classroom basically so it's just there rather than that every day and it can be a bit like a information overload sort of thing uh, and that's just one example now lots of other schools do exactly the same some people run uh, societies etc do you find that's something that's important for an a Star student to do
1: My rationale for teaching and the subject is that um, sorry, my rationale is that if you reduce the workloads, students are able to perform better. So in that sense, I I do give them like contemporary uh, theories and contemporary examples, but with homework, again, I don't set a great deal of homework. I do consolidation booklets. I think tutor to you actually some good material on that, that that I've used. So it's about applying the content to the world around them and being critical. It's a simple formula. I don't really do much about in regards to massive homework. I don't set loads of essays for them to do at home. Once a term, twice a term, I will do. But um, again, the, re- the reason why I give them the notes for every section is to reduce their workload so they can focus on the, on the key skills. I do feel students get bogged down in the in A01. I can't memorize these theories and then they think about the other a levels that like whether it be history or psychology they've got loads to memorize in those subjects so for me it's all about reducing um their workload with the a01 but as you said i think that the application the contemporary theories will set them apart from other students as an examiner as well if i see that student can apply the content to the world around them with examples and bring in the theories that the others haven't spoken about that doesn't that will set to set them apart. Pardon me, but also again, uh, the postmodern application or applying to the postmodern world, I think will set them apart from so many different students. And lastly, if they can um, critique the question from their point of view, that will set them apart for many students.
0: Yeah, without using the personal, you know, uh, Moment, pronouns yeah. as we said earlier. Earlier, just a quick one because uh, I know we spoke about lots of different things. You mentioned revision, um, and you do this one-to-one uh element to your revision how do you factor that in on eight hours a fortnight? how what's your just so we, i can it makes sense to me i can make some sense making is that something you do termly is it only during the revision period at what point do you sort of finish your revision and allow for the one-to-one you can talk about the year 13 so, so just so i know what that make, looks like
1: yeah it is difficult i know we all have uh, extensive workloads um I find it is manageable. So what I do, I'll focus on certain students, first of all. I'll ask them to come meet with me, whether it's in the morning or after school or in, a, in a, um, a free period. We'll look at a question, plan it out together. And I'm assessing whether they can take the item or question and be able to plan and assess and work with them on how they can do it. I send them away. They come back a week or two later. Then I, I verbally mark their work in front of them. I always feel that like verbal feedback goes a lot lot further than written feedback and with some students i've seen that one or two sessions were taken from e to a d to a B uh mm-hmm. and above um as well as that um because i i do fall into trap of focusing on those who are failing and over focusing on those i do fall into that trap so what i do consciously is i email out a question for everyone to do i call it like my, my a star question because if, if you're going for an a star here's a question write it up email it to me then I'll read through it and give them a, a, a small bit of feedback. Um, again, with that, I can assess sort of uh, are my A star students achieving those A stars? And if I need to call them in for a one on one, I can do that. But yes, I, that's I a targeted approach. Yeah, one on ones go a long way for me, but again, it should be about uh, and the question, going right to them, here's your the verbal feedback, rather than going through the content anything along those lines
0: yeah and I think you just said again I think this was off camera actually or off, off audio is that you have three classes so it's not like you've got you know when people might be listening to thinking oh well, you do some one-to-one with students but you've got five kids or something like that you've got three classes and how sorry how big are the classes
1: yeah so my classes are, are quite big so at, um so yeah year 12 13 we've got three classes per year group um overall in year 12 we've got 55 kids and year 13 we've got 60 kids yes we're talking about the, uh, large
0: cohorts and how many teachers
1: have you got in your team um we've got well two social teachers luckily we're both uh we've both got a degree a level and subjects we are both marked for the exam boards so i think and again first time delivery for me is that is the key get that right everything else just to add on so i'm lucky course in that best teaching yeah i'm lucky in that respect um but as well as that i do rs at a level as well and i've got the gcc so
0: mm.
1: it's quite a big it's department busy. yeah very so how,
0: i mean just from a practical i'm just getting my head again around that because obviously on other sessions and i think this is sort of a core theme, and i'm sort of just to get that some sort of reality check for mm-hmm. other teachers that might be listening to that how do you manage it because obviously like work-life balance is, is a constant debate within how do you achieve it. i know that's sometimes really hard to achieve because there's going to be ebbs and flows in the academic year where you know, obviously, the summer term it's a little bit there's a little bit more sort of sort of it's not easy. because <laughs> so obviously, it isn't easy because you're prepping for the next year. Yeah. But there's that element of you know. Whereas right now, from is quite a hard time. You've got to see mock exams, potentially to mark and stuff like that. How do you balance that then? Like, do you because obviously you don't want people coming in early and losing their lunch break just to do one to one. So how do you balance that?
1: So I'm not doing a great deal of one on ones. I'll be doing about three every. Week at, at the most yeah. really so it's about chipping away at it really and i know mm-hmm. in, well my, my point of view, you're teaching you're, you're not going to get everything done straight away
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you look at your workload and, and students workload can, um it's all about putting things in place practically that can that can reduce it mm-hmm. hence why i give students their notes for them to do mm-hmm. um, but, um as a head of department i make sure that everything's centrally planned all the resources i can quality assure it from that point of view Mm-hmm. I think if you spent those first two years of the of the new spec um, building up those resources, you've got those for the for the, for the years to come. Uh, I don't think that there's any real formula to reducing workloads because you you'll get half your work done and three things pop out of nowhere. <laughs> so um, that's like being realistic and practical and focusing on what you have to do. Like for example, if if I was to set an essay every week for my uh, sixth formers, I would drown. I'd have no chance. Mm-hmm it I've, I've got the experience being at a hod but i couldn't manage it so no. i'll do one or two uh a half term but then we have more exams to mark as well so start being realistic with yourself and the students
0: yeah definitely i think we're hearing a lot more teachers not setting homework which is essays and maybe just a plan or something like that we're seeing yeah. hearing more teachers talk about that um so, the planning is just as good, obviously. And then you get to sort of the measure, and then you can obviously maybe even self assess that with the mark scheme for students. So, there isn't that sort of marking mode and saving, like you said, the essays um, and exam work for like time conditions, which are a bit more realistic once or twice a uh, half term. So, lots of ideas there, lots of through though Um, You know, it's really interesting to think about how we can get students to do more themselves and sort of removing away from the A1, getting to think critically. So thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. There's lots of food for thought for me and how I can do it. Um, does out have interest, just being nosy really, when do you finish your teaching year 13?
1: Oh, it um, should be just before, uh, just after Easter. Mm-hmm. that make sense? So, so in terms of content now, I'm halfway through crime, which is my second to last uh, unit. After this I've got theory and methods. So we're a little bit ahead of last year. But so, yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> a plow now. It's a
1: plow. <laughs> Even with eight yeah. hours I find it of very really difficult to get the content in. But um yeah. I also don't try to fall into the trap of just focusing on the, on on the content as well. Like, and again with, with my lessons I sort of focus on free theorists and I get the students to think about um re- revising three theories per topic. Don't go through the whole textbook make it manageable
0: mm. yeah definitely yeah definitely oh it's such wise words it's like so great just about uh, ideas with a fellow colleague and yeah good luck with your mock marking as I understand that you're doing and also mm. your students good luck for the exams you made. thank you for your time and yeah great great to hear from you thank you
1: thanks for having me you very much that's
0: alright you take care the Bye-bye. sociology
1: staff room is brought to you by Tutor2U Sociology Find us at tutortou.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at Tutor2USOC or Instagram at Tutor2USOC. You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you
0: soon.